Shalom, blessings to you. We continue our study on 1 Corinthians. And uh, today I've titled the message, Wisdom in the Spirit. And we're going to look at the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. In chapter 1, we have studied that God is calling the Corinthians as a congregation. And uh, Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthians of their humble origin, their background as basically the lower class and even from the slave population. So they had nothing to really pronounce to the world. They were not wise by human standards. They were not influential. They are not of noble birth, Paul says. But this is exactly part of God's plan and purpose because he prefers to choose the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not to shame and nullify those who are superior to them so that no one may boast. How many of you realize by now that God is in the business of nullifying or leveling everything that is haughty and arrogant and trying to establish a sort of Tower of Babel, a monument of self-idolatry, anything that is of that sort, God wants to level that. Amen. And I'm not just talking about the people of the world. I'm saying even in the church, even among Christians, even especially among Christian leaders, if God sees that, He's going to destroy it. You see, God is in the business of humbling the proud and raising the weak and empowering the underdogs. So I'd like to exhort you to stay low and humble so that God may pick you up, raise you up, and elevate you. Never grasp for glory. Never grasp for your own honor and power. God is against that. God wants to rid of all forms of pride for the singular purpose of exalting only His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe God the Father is so passionate about His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything's about Jesus. And even Jesus said, if I am lifted up, then I will draw all people to myself. In other words, there's redemption, there's salvation, there's purpose and destiny for all of us humanity only in Jesus Christ. And so everything else that pretends to be the way, God has to destroy that. And you see the central message of the first Corinthians in chapters 1 and 2 basically is that of Jesus Christ and the cross. Because that's the only way and means by which we can receive salvation. And then in chapter 2 particularly, Paul is now reminded of his own calling. He says, God has called you, Corinthian church. God has called me to serve you, to proclaim the message to you. And he says, when I came to you, I did not come with any eloquence or any presumption about superior wisdom. In other words, he's saying that I didn't come with some kind of oratorical skill or rhetorical understandings of speech therapy or or speech performance. No, I didn't play that game. 
He says that I resolved only to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, today when I see a lot of messages out there on the video, there are tons of sermons and teachings and messages. I look at it very carefully to see whether these messengers are primarily focusing on Jesus Christ, elevating Him so that the power may flow out from Jesus and the cross. Or whether they want to induce power into other things. They want to say that the power has to do with some kind of pop psychology message, some kind of special methodology, or some discovery of some spiritual formula, or my understanding of theology. And by doing that, the focus is off of Jesus and is upon the speaker and what they presume to be presenting to the public. And Apostle Paul knew better. He said, no, I don't rely upon my eloquence. I don't rely upon my wisdom. I rely upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He really had no reason to do that. He was an amazing apostle with an amazing pedigree. And yet he humbled himself and said, I come in weakness. And I know what I have gone through. Previous to you, Corinthians, all the cities that I visited, I've received persecution and oppression. And it is intimidating that every time I try to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, they want to kill me, they want to stone me, they want to imprison me. Then he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. We have to let God demonstrate His power. I know sometimes the message of Christ and the cross may sound redundant. We always talk about the same thing. Every message is referring back to that. Can we talk about something else? Aren't there more to Christianity than just Jesus and the cross? You know, so sometimes... Um, the charismatics, they want to spice it up by talking about some kind of spiritual manifestation, signs and wonders, healings. And those people who are really into like end times, premillennialists, they want to talk about, you know, the Antichrist and Armageddon and, and all these spiritual events that are going to happen. And more of the political-minded activists, they want to talk about how to transform the society by these things and that. And somehow, mysteriously, in the midst of all these talks, Jesus is not there. Even in the churches where we should be talking about Jesus, we have our Bible studies, we have theological learnings, we have ministry to each other, and at the end of the day, we talk about everything, but people are still now really focused on Jesus and obsessed with Jesus. Somehow Jesus has become just a part not the central, not the essence, not everything, but just a portion. And I wonder, maybe we don't have the confidence in Jesus. Maybe we don't have the confidence in the cross. Maybe we feel like we have to help out God's message by spicing things up. You know, through the preacher's charisma or some fantastic testimony you have to import into the message. Why can't we just preach the cut and dry message of Christ and the power of the cross and the resurrection? 
this has been personally my struggle, trying to really sort of squeeze the juice out of that fruit called Jesus. Can I do that? Can I make Jesus interesting? Can I make Jesus uh, such a, a focus, a passion? Can I make his incarnation story, his life story, his teaching, can they, that come alive just by talking about Jesus? I don't have to spice it up, just point it out. And so, beginning with verse 6, now Paul is talking about this power of the Spirit, but in terms of the wisdom that the Spirit can impart to us. And so today, the whole theme is that of the wisdom in the Spirit. Last week, it was all about power in the Holy Spirit. Because it is a power of the Spirit that is inherent in the message of Jesus Christ and the cross. But today I want to talk about wisdom aspect of it. So let us begin with verse 6 all the way to verse 9. Let's read this out loud together. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eyes has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul says in verse 6, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. He's calling the Corinthian church and he's focusing on, on especially those within that body that he categorizes as the mature ones. The term here is teleoi. It comes from the term teleos, which means mature or complete or full, and most people think if you're mature, you have arrived. Therefore, you're mature. But that is not the intent of Paul here. Rather, it is not having arrived at a goal that's important. It is getting towards that goal, a constant, persistent progression towards the goal so that you never arrive and reach a plateau. But we think completely differently. We think of maturity as having arrived, having reached the plateau, and now I'm mature, so I don't need to mature anymore. But that is completely the opposite of the way Paul is thinking. I'll give you a, a scripture that can back that up. In Philippians 3, verses 12 to 15, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is past or behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And what is this 
view of things that the mature are to embrace. It is not that we have arrived at the goal, but it is pursuing that goal, progressing on towards the goal. And this was what was lacking among the Jewish elites and the Greek philosophers. They thought they had a handle on this. They thought they had a handle on understanding the Messiah for the Jews. Or the great philosophical sage for the Greek. And they were looking down on Paul, who was seemingly not having arrived at their level or their stature. And Paul is saying, not just me, but all of us. Who are those who are mature? It's those who are pursuing, constantly growing, constantly developing depth in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'd like to suggest you, in order to have this kind of mind of a maturity, I would like to suggest you a few things. First of all, have a sound and healthy mind. It's people whose minds are skewed, distorted, that they cannot possibly think of this as the way of maturity. There's so many people who are messed up in their mind, locked up in their minds, and they're not going to change anymore. And they're so certain they're right. And they're so arrogant that they have a handle on things. But if you're sound and healthy-minded, your mind should be pliable. That's the beauty of little children. Look at them. Their mind is not set, locked in the box. You know, their mind is constantly growing, constantly developing. And we need to learn from little children how to be humble and teachable. See, you cannot progress unless you're humble and teachable. If you say, no, I want to teach rather, and you place yourself in the seat of a sage, you can never learn. You say, no, I'm a disciple. I'm a mentee. I'm a student. Teach me the way. We must also be open and unbiased in our minds, open-minded. You know, sometimes we Christians think that just because we know the Bible and know some theology and and have a handle on basic doctrines, somehow we have it all. We don't. We may know the Bible. We may not know the world. We may know Christ, but we don't know human beings in general. We may know one discipline of ology, but we don't know hundreds of other disciplines of ologies. We need to open ourselves up. Unbiased. This is exactly the word of John Calvin. A very simple and sound and unbiased mindset we must have. And be progressive, ever-growing. In other words, have this sense of dynamicness about maturity. In verse 7, Paul says, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And we have studied about this mysterium, the mystery that something is hidden from us. We studied about this when we studied Ephesians. Do you remember in chapters 1 and 2? The mystery of Christ hidden away for ages. And then 
during that first century, through the apostles, the message of Christ was given to us. And it is the revelation of Christ and the cross by which we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. There can finally be unification of the body of Christ and the whole cosmos coming together through Christ. This is the message of Ephesians. And in verse 9, Paul says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. And this mystery of Christ and the cross is hidden. That means there needs to be a depth of understanding in order to get access of Christ and the cross. But human beings are unable to rely upon, simply relying upon their perception of things, sight, sound, sensing, not even their conceptualizing of things, knowing and imagining. You can't find Christ this way. Let me break it down for you. Human beings, in order for us to know things, we call it epistemology. Understand the reality of things. Understand that this is a concrete world out there. And these are human beings that I'm relating to. Even God that we want to relate to. Human beings do it through perception. Okay? And I'm sure you agree with me. I don't know whether you thought of this philosophically. But you know that you relate to outside world through your sight and through your hearing, through your senses, through your touch. And the things that we cannot quite see or perceive this way, we do it through conceptualization. We imagine. We conceptualize. We intuitively know. And some people have cultivated this kind of sense. We call it the spiritual sense or intuitive knowledge that they can pick up on demons. They can pick up on the presence of angels. They can kind of know people's minds and their motives. But Paul says, none of this will do. Because these things don't come that way. These things come by special revelation. And the special revelation is exactly that wisdom that only Spirit can give to us. And so in order to understand Jesus and the essence of the cross, we must receive that special revelation from the Spirit of God. There's no other way. I mean, you can search all over the world, you know, adventure into the forest and the jungles and the, you know, climb up the mountains and enter into the depth of the sea, try to attain an understanding about Christ and the cross, you cannot do it. God never meant it to be done that way. God meant it to be given to us as a gift. This is what we call grace of God. So He presents Himself, opens Himself, He reveals Himself to us so that we can understand Jesus Christ and the cross. And this is what, exactly what he's talking about in the next few verses. Beginning with verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except his, their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So God conceals everything so that He can reveal each of these things, and He does the revelation by His own Spirit. Today, what I want to do, based upon this text and the successive texts, I want to talk about what we may phrase it as a speaker's perspective. And then I want to talk about the hearer's perspective. What do I mean by that? We, all of us, we find ourselves either in the position of a speaker or a hearer. Someone who is sharing and someone who is receiving. It's not just me as the preacher. You all, as witnesses of Christ, will have opportunity to share as a speaker. And all of us, including me, would have opportunity to sit, to hear and receive from others. This is the dynamic that we have in the body of Christ and also in the world. So I want to talk about speaker's view and relate that to the revelation. First of all, in verse 11b, Paul says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Revelation has with knowing, a knowledge that is being imparted to us. That knowledge or that understanding can only come by the Spirit of God. So if you're going to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ, you have to have knowledge. Do we know the Word? Do we know the Gospel? Do we know the essence of the cross? Do we know why the cross is so important? So, receiving the knowledge from the Spirit of God is the first step before we presume to speak on behalf of God. Second, we find it in verse 13a. This is what we speak in words taught by the Spirit. We not only know, we must proclaim what we know. And so the Spirit of God gives us revelation so that we can have knowledge. But the Spirit of God also gives us revelation and power so that we can proclaim it and articulate the word in the proper way. I know this so well because I wasn't good at articulation. I thought I had nothing to do with words and speech. But it is exactly that area God has empowered me for past three decades plus. And I've been speaking ever since. I've been preaching, I've been teaching, I've been counseling. I've been witnessing. All of this has to do with speech. And there are times, literally, I have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. I have to really feel His presence because I am not capable of articulating certain things. Especially when I'm intimidated by the audience. 
And there are times people always ask me difficult questions and expect me to like answer that. I'm going, oh, Holy Spirit, give me an understanding. And I start speaking, trusting Him. And as I do, the words just come out. Almost like a creative process when, you know, in my choreography, like dances would emerge. Words would come out. And all that, the Holy Spirit helps. So first, knowledge. Second, proclamation. Third, in verse 13b, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Explaining is very difficult, isn't it? Just sharing the information is one thing, but you know, God giving you certain impression in your heart. I want you to share about this thing. Yes, I want to. So you open your mouth, you start proclaiming. But then you realize that with questions and with, with inquiries, you have to go beyond that. You've got to explain it. You've got to articulate that. And that means we've got to take it one step further. I ran to base one. That's my knowledge. I run to base two. That's my proclamation. But I got to run to the third base and then come home. That is with explanation. So that people will feel like they understand and they show interest in what you have to say about Jesus Christ and the cross. Now let us read the remaining verses, beginning with verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now I want to take this portion of the text and try to share with you the hearer's perspective. Now someone who's there hearing the word, how should you hear and receive? We start with the verse 14a. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. You see, whatever the Spirit wants to endow to us in terms of message, grace, something that He wants to grant unto us, we must be in the position to receive. A hearer has to be receptive. Hearer has to have his antenna up. And maybe it should be a revolving antenna picking up the signal. I know there are people who say, well, I, I have my antenna up. I'm all ready to hear God, but how come he's not hearing me? You know why? Because you got your antenna set in certain direction. And you're expecting God to fit into your mode? No. God may speak to us some other way. That means I got to get that antenna you know, circulating. Or just have a satellite dish. I think that's the best way to pick up the message or the revelation of God. But we have to be receptive. If you don't have a receptive mode, you cannot possibly relate to what is known as revelation of God. And there are people who are not receptive. They are very good at articulating their thoughts. They have so many things they want to say to God, but they're not receptive enough to hear from God or hear from the messenger. 
So we must be at the receiving mode. In verse 14b, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. There has to be an understanding. Yes, we receive it, but what have we received? What is this message? What is this content? The preacher just spoke this message about the importance of Jesus Christ and the centrality of the cross and how you know, this brings forth the power of the Spirit of God and how God brings forth revelation. But what does it mean? We need to come to an understanding. And that comes by the Spirit of God. And finally, in verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Discernment. Differentiation. What is good? What is bad? What is of God? What is of the world? What is of God at the surface level? But what is that of the deep level? To understand the whole Bible and to understand the Bible at its roots, the foundation. See, you can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and may not really know that it's all about Jesus. There are a lot of Christians like that. They come to church, they have a lot of Bible knowledge, but occasionally you talk about Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, but there are a lot of great Old Testament stories there, a lot of great um, messages by Paul. You see, being able to differentiate and to discern but not only about the Bible and the reality of things out there, but discerning people's motives. We hear people at the surface level, but we may not be hearing them deep inside, what their hearts are saying, what their motives are indicating. And in all these things, it is the Spirit who makes sense of them. So how can we now rely on the Spirit of God for everything that we do? As a speaker, for me to know what I need to speak on, and in articulating that, certain way that I need to package the message, and explaining that in depth, how can I now rely on the Holy Spirit? And as a hearer, to be a receptive end, to receive is also the grace of God. Holy Spirit teaches us how to receive. I wasn't good at that. I can tell you, and I, I've repeated this on so many occasions, but I had to learn from my wife how to be a listener. I wasn't receptive. I was so great, like pouring things out to people. And I had to learn this art of receiving and hearing being open in my ears to pick up what she is saying. And then to understand what she is saying. I mean, I had two sisters, but I guess I didn't show much respect to them when I was young. Now I, sh I show them more respect now, but in those days they were just my little sisters, right? But I... I wasn't trained to listen to my sisters. I should have known better. If I were born again in those 10 years, maybe the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, would have taught me how to listen to my sisters. And if you don't listen to your sisters, you probably will not be good at communicating with your sisters. Because you have to listen to them at their level. 
and you're listening at this level. Well, it took marriage, it took three daughters in my household to train me how to listen. And if I don't listen, we have hell, or I experience hell. I'll be destroyed before the presence of my wife and my children. So I learned to humble myself, learn this art of listening and receiving and understanding and discerning. And maybe God, by His Holy Spirit, sometimes works through your family like that, through your marriage like that. I really see that. I don't think Spirit of God just works in the vacuum somewhere. I go to Mount Sinai and there I want to be enlightened. Give me the listening ears for, from this day on. May I have the listening heart. I don't think it happens like that usually. It happens when you go through the hard knock school of listening to your spouse and your children and others around you. And that's how God cultivates that. And the concluding statement by Paul is found in verse 16b. But we have the mind of Christ. And Paul is not just saying, I as an apostle and my apostolic team, we have the mind of Christ. I think he's saying that you as Christians all have the mind of Christ. Why? Because you all have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is exactly the one who taps into the mind of God and infuses that thought into our minds, our hearts, our beings. What do we lack? We lack nothing. That's what Paul is saying. You have the Spirit of God. You don't need to imitate those religious elite or Greek philosophers. You don't need that. You have everything sufficient. You have the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the centrality of the cross and if you want to understand that better, then, then receive that revelation from the Spirit of God that is given to you. You have everything to operate as both a speaker and a hearer. Someone who can impart wisdom and knowledge to others. Someone who can constantly be at the receiving end of knowledge and wisdom from God. Amen. 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 So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us all everything that is necessary, everything that is sufficient for us. You have given us the gospel. You have given us the word of God, the scripture. Lord, you have given us Jesus Christ as our redeemer and, and model for our lives. You have given us your Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, teaching us all these things. And if we can simply understand that it is the Spirit's leading and guidance and impartation by which we know and we proclaim and we articulate in depth for others. It is the Spirit of God who opens our hearts so that we can be receptive, so that we can grasp things with an understanding, that we can discern things so that we may know what is truly of God. Father, teach us to rely upon the Spirit of God. Teach us not to go after the philosophies 
of this world. Not even go after something that is presumed to be so spiritual and so um, spectacular, boasted by others. Lord, it's none of these things. But it is the very simple gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. And that essence understood as the cross. Teach us what this is about. And Lord, if we can really excavate the death of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, then Lord, may we find this uh, well of streams of living water just pouring forth from our inner beings that your spirit can cause us to sufficiently witness the gospel and to continue to grow because of the gospel. Father, we ask that you will lead us this path. And this is the path of the wisdom in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and radiate in all his glory, beauty, wisdom, and love. And may you now go forth utterly confident that the Spirit of God is there to help you along the way to both share the gospel and to receive the depth of understanding of the gospel in this continual flow, in this continual cycle of deepening our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So now go and represent Christ to others in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.